0: If if I was going to invest, do I put it all into the space? Which some have, and some have absolutely been like a success with it. So I, you know, it's it's not like it's impossible. I, uh, uh, it's it's just so it to me, it's it's more of a dice roll than some gambling would be. (laughs) This is the truth about investing. Back to basics podcast where we want to help you take control of your personal finance and long-term investments. If you're looking for a way to learn the why and how of investing, then you've found the right place. Thank you for taking the time to learn how to better yourselves. Uh, introduction. There it is. Uh, the, the Welcome. 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 Ladies and a lot of welcomes. <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, to the next episode of The Truth About Investing. Back to basics. My name is Chris Holling. And I'm Sean Cooper. And we are continuing on with our season four, where the first stretch, because now we're actually looking at the episode plan, is addressing analysis analysis analysis. (laughs) I portfolio analysis (laughs) that's that's the technical term right sounds yeah sounds about right Uh, because last time we were able to talk about uh, the differences between technical tech whoa man technical and fundamental analysis and uh, kind of helping break down how to do both of those and how, how they work and what they are. And uh, this time, we are doing portfolio analysis, whereas the following, we're looking at stock portfolio analysis. And uh, that's, that's because they're different. So Sean tells me. Indeed they are. <laughs> um, oh, right. And I have to guess things. So, uh, <laughs> So my guess... When, when I think of a portfolio, I I think... I picture a person walking around with this big... B- I, I'm, I'm going to say manila envelope that is large enough to need to be carried in a briefcase. And the Clark Kent looking figure that carries this briefcase will then pull out the portfolio and legal pad and it, it has big... That's a pad folio. <laughs> well, what? <with> Just saying. <laughs> okay, all right. So the <laughs> Clark Kent looking figure <laughs> with the briefcase and the manila o- envelope opens it on a port of the sea and now has a portfolio. <laughs> and it says on the manila envelope, it says portfolio. And it's, it's written with that Sharpie where you know it's handwritten, but you don't know by who because nobody's handwriting is that good. And it's it's on there almost like a stamp, and then you open it, and there's graphs and pie charts in it, and uh, <laughs> these graphs and pie charts have lots of uh, percentages uh, in it, and they have names of uh, uh, they have abbreviated names of companies that you partially own because. Shoot, no, that's a stock portfolio.
1: Um, you, mm, uh, but, but you, you, you brought up this important point there, stock portfolio, uh, and that is the distinction that I'm trying to make. Stock analysis, which is individual security analysis, or individual security analysis, as opposed to portfolio analysis. You lost me. It's a portfolio analysis, okay. but not a stock port. But,
0: but they're both. We opened it on a port. It's a portfolio. <laughs> okay, so right.
1: I, but my my point is that you're saying stock portfolio analysis, and that would fall under what we're covering today. No, it says yes. it says
0: hello hello noise making phone. Um, it's, it says okay. I've I've got I've got. It says. Technical fundamental analysis, then portfolio. That was last week, right? Then portfolio analysis, and then stock portfolio
1: analysis is the next one. The next one should just be stock analysis. Well,
0: then my introduction meant
1: nothing. Or securities analysis is more accurate. But God,
0: all right. So you're on a port with a briefcase, and it has (laughs) stock pie charts, and you own shares in a pie company, and. And while you're looking at your pie companies on a port, then you also realize that you need to make sure that you pay the guys that are keeping your stuff safe so you hire private security. And so that's that's how you have a uh, security
1: portfolio, stock portfolio that you The, the look fact at. that you've kept this going as long as you have is uh – Credence to your improbability. I'm impressed. <laughs> if you should be one thing, you should be efficient.
0: <laughs> I okay. All right. Well, I'm I'm glad that we cleared this up while we're recording that that hey, this next time that we're recording portfolio analysis is different than it's, it's not
1: different. <sighs> How next am time I not drinking? About-
0: this is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Next time, we're talking about security analysis. Whoa, whoa. Specifically, whoa, whoa, whoa. stock analysis, but security analysis is the general topic. That's portfolio... this time or next time? No, that's next time. I'm this okay. time is portfolio analysis. Okay, I'm changing this now. Security
0: portfolio?
1: No, security no. analysis. You, you wipe portfolio from next week's altogether. This time is portfolio, next time is security or stock. Whatever you want to put there. Is Security fine. analysis. Correct. Okay.
0: Watch this reintroduction. I might even start the music again. Watch this happen. You know, now that everybody's watched mommy and daddy fight. Okay. <laughs> <sighs> <sighs> oh, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Truth About Analysis Back to My name is Chris Holling. Right, that and was Sean. The there keeper. you go. Say, and uh, <laughs> that was shocking. You're just gonna do the whole thing for I'm us. I'm trying. Fire away. Go fire away. And and uh, so we are we are addressing the the stock portfolio analysis <laughs> series, where where we are doing stock portfolio analysis today, and next time we're looking at security analysis, which is unrelated. Uh, I mean, they have their
1: relationship. I knew you were going to
0: say that. That's why I stopped. And I, <laughs> <laughs> whatever. What the what the hell is a stock portfolio analysis, Sean? Because <laughs> clearly, my description of having a security team out on the port of whatever isn't what we're after. Anyway, I'll just up here. I'm over here. Just you go. I'm listening
1: okay so portfolio analysis yeah. whether you're referring to stock portfolios or bond portfolios right. or your overall portfolio in general is what we're discussing today analysing. as opposed to as opposed to individual security analysis which would be analyzing an individual stock an individual company or an individual bond which again is just analyzing the individual company bond. and uh, the offering that they're they're presenting um, you could also analyze an individual' security in the form of you know an ETF although you're not analyzing the underlying securities per right. se <laughs> what okay
0: well hold on what's an ETF though
1: exchange traded fund okay see we've
0: talked about that before. yeah well that's fine but you know for <laughs> I knew that I was just saying if you knew that uh, uh, no I, just, I just yeah <laughs> It's it's hard, you know. Like I, just, it is, no, it's a lot. ETF it's a lot. and there's Got it. a
1: stupid number of acronyms. Yes, sorry. Continue. Proceed. So, the goal is just to talk about portfolio analysis, which is a lot of what some of the things we've talked about in the past have built up to. When we talked about correlation, mm-hmm. uh, technical and fundamental analysis, those things kind of feed into portfolio analysis. So the goal today is to give you some tools as Chris likes to say tools for the tool belt to actually evaluate your own portfolio you know I normally uh, I normally talk about a toolbox but I uh, I do like oh the fact tool for that, the toolbox my bad well
0: I do, I do like the idea that that when when you visualize my mottos though you picture me as like a, a big bad construction worker though you know like posing. absolutely and, da, da, da. Safe. Okay. I'm sorry. I was I was having having a a
1: village people moment. Okay. Proceed. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, so give you some tools to kind of evaluate your own portfolio, um, potentially means of improving upon it or uh, building it differently if need be in the future. Okay. So there's a, a couple different things. When you're looking at your overall portfolio and you know building it out going forward, we've talked about diversification in the past, how that related to correlation. So one of the first things that you can do when evaluating your overall portfolio is actually looking at the holdings that you are invested in and how well diversified they are. So a couple of different tools that you can use for that. Uh, Morningstar offers, like their, uh, what are they called? Uh, their style boxes. So it, it, if you're looking at a style box for stocks, they range from s- uh, small cap to large cap. So small, mid, and blend, and that's the the capitalization of the company, how large they are basically, and then whether they are a value stock. A growth stock or a blend somewhere in the middle, so you end up with a nine different boxes in there, the Morningstar style box. So if you're trying to be diversified, you want to at least fill some of those boxes and you know branch some of the extremes in that box. With that said, you're you're still just talking about stocks from that standpoint. You're not talking about. Uh, bonds and a variety of other investments and you're also just talking about potentially you could just be talking about domestic stocks not even talking about international stocks so so that's one level of diversification is that if you look at that style box another would be what i alluded to earlier so looking at the the global investment universe so as opposed to just investing in us stocks you know looking at european or asian or uh, South American, African stocks, um, and you get start getting into some emerging markets, uh, even uh, micro or um, frontier markets, which would be even less developed than the emerging markets. So some of those, you, you know, they become fairly risky as you you get down that line but they also can potentially enhance returns Th- that's just along the stock universe so then you could also apply that that morning star style box to each of those those regions so you know small cap to large cap value to uh growth within each different uh, continent if you will
0: and and so then you have go I'm ahead sorry so when when we're doing this and and it's the that's what we're working on. Is we're we're working on the analysis of the
1: stock portfolio, and we're we're not a stock portfolio, okay. just portfolio in general, whether it's comprised of stocks, bonds. Well, we've talked about so far is just stocks. I was about to jump into bonds, but right, okay.
0: Um, but but when you're when you're looking at this, you're you're saying that as you have these other options, you the way I was getting it was that you're talking about the different ways to do. Uh, looking at correlation diversification type type approaches and the analysis portion of it is is taking all those things into consideration and seeing where where things are should be diversified
1: where things should be
0: offset and
1: where where does where does so far we're we're just talking about evaluating your own portfolio okay. and finding weaknesses in it okay or if you should be building a portfolio from scratch, these are some things you want to consider as you're going about it. So okay. uh, specifically right now, just talking about diversification, because we've already talked about correlation and how important that is to a portfolio and uh, the ability to potentially reduce risk or enhance returns uh, the combination of those two factors via correlation and diversification. And so these are some ways that you can diversify your portfolio. Some of the things you might consider as you're going about diversifying your portfolio,
0: which is done due to your analysis.
1: Or or can the, be done due to your analysis. This 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 whole thing is analyzing right. the portfolio. Right. I'm just, this I'm is saying. the analysis. I'm just I'm
0: just tying little bows as we as we're moving forward tiny
1: okay. Yeah. Bows. The, the, it has nothing So when we talked about like te- technical and fundamental analysis last week, yes. A lot of that will not apply to today. <laughs> that a- that mostly applies to the following, which the stock analysis. Okay. Now, Security. there are aspects of it that could potentially apply to today. But for portfolio analysis, we're, we're jumping back a couple weeks to the diversification, the correlation. And then we'll be bringing in some other aspects that you would want to analyze when looking at your whole portfolio. It's uh, It's a... It's a bit more basic approach than what we'll get into next week as we start to tie in some of the more uh, technical aspects of it, Um, more of the numbers when we analyze an individual security. Right. But it's something that anyone can do, anyone should do when looking at their portfolio because it's just important to have Uh, at least a base level understanding of how to evaluate your own portfolio, even if you've hired an expert to do it for you, understanding what it is that they are doing and being able to spot weaknesses in their own knowledge base. So I totally agree with that. I think that's really important. um, Anyway, so we've talked about that uh, stocks and diversification among your, this, the stock portion of your your portfolio. Uh, Then there's also the diversification. So Diversification between asset classes, so stocks, bonds, alternatives. Um, so we we've, we've talked about that first piece, the stocks. Inside the bonds, if you looked at like again that morning style, morning star style box, it's going to be quite a bit different for bonds. You're looking at the the credit rating of the company, so ranging from uh, what is it triple triple A double A. Okay, so. On the bond side, uh, Morningstar Style Box, you're looking at the uh, credit rating, so low, medium, and high, which is based on typically like Moody's, S and P. They do credit ratings for different companies, ranging from uh, AAA would be uh, very high rating down to B or B two, and then even below B or below B two. And once you get, I think you cross the threshold of uh, from triple B down to Uh, Double B is where you you break into the the high yield, what they classify as high yield or junk bonds. Um, But again, you're looking at that spectrum of low, medium, and high in terms of credit rating. And then you also have the, the duration of the bond, which is really a combination of the length of the bond and the, the coupons they're paying to uh, calculate out the interest rate risk. So you've got, uh, as far as the interest rate risk, limited, moderate, and extensive. So sh- typically the shorter term, the bond, the the higher the coupon, the lower the interest rate sensitivity is going to be. So you could have a Again, it's a nine-box style, nine-box grid, and you can fill each aspect of that grid with pieces of your bond portfolio. Um, So it's just different ways to expand the diversification of your your overall portfolio. So you're diversifying between stocks and bonds, so equity and fixed income. You're diversifying in terms of style and internet... um, uh, region on the equity side you can do the same thing on the bond side diversify in terms of the the style or the the, the credit rating and the um, the interest rate sensitivity as well as where you are geographically so providing that diversification helps offset various risks that you might take on in the portfolio other ways so a, as you get beyond that those are some of the, Traditionally speaking, if you look at the um, modern portfolio theory, um, MPT, which you know some people claim modern portfolio theory is dead, and I just think they don't fully understand modern portfolio theory because they believe it only applies to stocks and bonds, um, and I think they're, they're missing a, a big aspect of what modern portfolio theory was trying to get at in the first place. It sounds like they're but, not very modern to me. <laughs> modern portfolio theory has been around for quite some time, so for the idea that it's modern is, <laughs> is kind of When does something point, stop but, becoming modern? I don't know. That's a good question. Is there a, a time frame? I, I don't know. That's why um, I'm asking you. I, just, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> okay. At, at any rate, so uh, modern portfolio theory, when it was first introduced – was specifically applied to stocks and p- bonds, and it goes back to that idea of diversification and having low-correlated asset classes. So traditionally, the bonds offset the stocks. When stocks do poorly, the bonds did at least decent. Um, unfortunately, what we found is uh, for diversification purposes, when things go really bad, like 2008, most things tend to do fairly poorly uh, now, there were certain types of stocks that actually, or excuse me, certain types of bonds that actually did fine in 2008 or did well, relatively speaking. But there were other asset classes that actually did even better. So, from my standpoint, modern portfolio theory is, should just be extended uh, to expand additional asset classes that have come about over the years. So you start looking at alternative asset classes, alternative assets, alternative strategies, and start adding those into the portfolio and evaluating their correlation to some of these more traditional asset classes to figure out how you can blend the portfolio to optimize the risk and return for your particular uh, risk tolerance and your ability to assume risk. So some of the things that, um, might come up uh, as you're you're building out a portfolio or enhancing a portfolio after you've already covered these these traditional asset classes. Uh, you might look at emerging markets, uh, managed futures, uh, some hard asset classes, so real estate, um, even natural resources, uh, private equity, uh, merger arbitrage. Things like covered calls, convertible arbitrage. These are all alternative assets and alternative strategies that can be mixed into the portfolio to try to enhance that risk reward relationship via diversification and correlation. Now, I'm not going to jump into each of these asset classes today because that would take hours. Uh, But we will talk about some of them in future episodes, especially if someone has one in particular they'd like us to delve into. We can do that. Just hit us up, let us know. Anyway, so when analyzing your portfolio, that's one of the first things you can do is evaluate your own diversification. Now, actually calculating the correlation of your portfolio is a little bit more challenging, but um, you you don't necessarily have to know the exact um, calculation. If you have Excel, you can plug in the historical returns, annual historical returns of any two asset classes and plug in a simple equation into Excel and it will calculate the correlation between the two asset classes to give you an idea. Now, again, that that correlation from a historical standpoint, if you, you go out, oftentimes it's calculated for three years, sometimes five years. Yeah, if you're using a... A tool to analyze these things for you. Just understand what it is evaluating, if it's uh, three years, five years, what have you. and know if it's incorporating some of the really important periods. For example, if it's incorporating like 2008, yes, you might find two asset classes that are have not been correlated, over the last three to five years. Maybe they had a low correlation of say like 0.1 or something along those lines, close to zero. But if you look at 2008, their correlation jumped to like 0.6, 0.7. That's not as advantageous as something that might have a correlation today of say, you know, negative 0.1. And in 2008, it had a a correlation of negative 0.8. They actually went in opposite directions. That's fantastic Um, in a period like 2008. So anyway, well, and
0: I'm I'm just trying to. It, it's so hard. I th- this is something that we we run into several times when we're on here where we have n- numbers that are just just auditory, and it's and it's difficult yeah. to not to not just write them down and such. So when when we're looking at these things and we're uh, and I understand that you know it's best to go back and and listen to the correlation diversification type stuff when you're when you're looking at all this, when you're evaluating these different percentages of, of positive versus negative and, and such. But for for just starting out and just starting to look at these things and just starting to evaluate, like we, we are building a portfolio. We've, we've never built a portfolio before and we're putting this all together and we're, we're starting to keep track of some of these things. Uh, then we are, are we putting these negative versus the positive? side by side to each other or are they in different categories that you try to separate like bigger, broad categories as you're doing this or is it all just one big list of positives and negatives in in
1: the numbers How, how do you how do you organize that you mean when you're if you're actually going into the process of calculating correlation uh no when you're
0: keeping track of the the different amounts that you have here so like let's say that you're paying paying good attention to where the positives and negative percentages are are happening. What do
1: you mean, positive and negative percentages?
0: Isn't that what you just said? That you have a yes. I was referring to correlation
1: specifically. Yes.
0: So when you're keeping track of your correlation, how do you maintain the organization for that? Where Where do you? Are, is this just you keeping those numbers in mind? Do you when you're when you're building a portfolio, because that's what we're doing here. Is this something that you are? Uh, I have never built a portfolio before. Like I have no idea. I I have a general I have a general idea of okay. Of that. I'm, I'm sure I'm not describing it very well. I, I hope that that made sense, what I'm trying to ask.
1: Not at uh, all. Kind of. Uh, so uh, let's say, for example, if, you, if you're just getting started. Right. Uh, as a, a hypothetical, something you could do would be to take a you know standard asset class. So stay, take the returns of the S&P 500. Okay. Okay, that's an index you can there's lots of different ETFs and even mutual funds that track that index that you can invest in. Right. That would give you broad diversification f- for domestic large cap stocks. Yes. Um if you were taking that as your basis and then you wanted to diversify from there, you could take these various asset classes that I'm talking about and calculate their correlation to the S&P 500 okay. so you could take the Barclays Capital Aggregate Bond Index and calculate the correlation and a lot of this stuff is going to be available depending on what tools you're using, what investment group you're using or application that you're using it may already have this calculated out there's a good chance it will some somewhere but you can calculate the correlation of those two asset classes the lower the correlation, the more it's going to diversify the portfolio, the more it's going to reduce the, the perceived risk. And uh, here we're talking about risk in terms of standard deviation. Okay. And that's strict standard deviation, not just uh, downside standard deviation that a lot of people utilize or skew or kurtosis or anything like that. Uh, just standard deviation, which we can talk more about. But you can do that with each any any asset class. You can evaluate the, that correlation. And again, any any of the lower lower correlation provide has more potential to provide enhancements to the portfolio in terms of reducing risk. Now, the long-term rate of return of each of those asset classes. Also impacts the portfolio, obviously. So, for example, if you're adding asset classes, an asset class that has a lower rate of return, you're you're blending in those those two rates of return, which, depending on the blend, depending on the correlation, may potentially reduce the the return. If if we're just talking about two asset classes, then it's it's most likely going to reduce the rate of return. Uh, if you add in a another asset class that is lower as you start to build out multiple asset classes you can add in asset classes that have higher rates of return and lower correlation typically they're going to be very risky on a standalone basis but when blended into the portfolio you can actually mix and match these to potentially enhance returns while also simultaneously reducing risk or maintaining the same risk while enhancing returns or keeping returns the same while reducing risk. So you can start to, to mold the portfolio as you add in different asset classes based on their rates of return and the correlation from your to your um, other asset classes that you're comparing to or your overall portfolio. Does that make sense? I or? think so,
0: yeah, because I mean the the I understand that the analysis is the is the base level of understanding in order to make those things happen and that's that's what I'm trying to say is like we, we know that we want to create an analysis, we want to look at at all the possibilities of taking in a variety of asset classes as this is being built. And I I was more saying a like, hey I I'm building a portfolio today, I've got this legal pad in front of me Now what do I do was kind of was kind of what I was asking, essentially, of like, how how do you even organize that from the get go at all, which I I think you touched on some of that. And it's it's to
1: have. Yeah, I mean, that that's kind of what I'm trying to get at is um, when I'm talking about an analysis, I'm talking about analyzing or evaluating your overall portfolio. And if you're starting from scratch, then it's a matter of checking off all of these boxes. When I was talking about diversification, I was talking about that st- those style boxes. Those are all different types of stocks or bonds or asset classes that you can invest in that are going to provide some level of diversification for your portfolio. So if you're, you're, you've got a blank page in front of you and you've got the, the style box. You're trying to fill in a bunch of those different style boxes with your investments. Right. Right. I, I think I'm, I'm
0: beginning to understand that now. Okay. I was just trying to make sure that there was a bottom-up. Here's where we're doing. Here's where we're going. Kind right. Of, kind of thing.
1: Okay. Good. Um, so other ways that you can continue to enhance or evaluate your portfolio. Uh, We've talked about exchange traded funds versus mutual funds and active versus passive investments. Those are another way of diversifying even within the same asset class. So you could have potentially uh, an ETF that invests in large cap growth companies. So that's one of the style boxes, large cap growth. So you could have a passive ETFs that invests in those, and you could have an active mutual fund that invests in those same companies. But even that is going to provide some level of diversification. Now, whether or not it's sufficient diversification to warrant the cost and warrant the effort is debatable. But my point is that even the the difference between active versus passive investing can provide a level of diversification. And choosing how that fits into your portfolio goes into this overall analysis of your portfolio. Which we also touched on
0: in our active versus passive. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Okay, full circle. Look at this go. Good. I like it. Yeah, exactly. Um, So another thing to evaluate, and this one is probably just as important as uh, a lot of these others, and that is the cost of your portfolio. How much is it costing you to build out this portfolio? And you want to evaluate everything. There was actually a report conducted by, or a study conducted by Morningstar. I brought them up a couple different times today. And they evaluated a variety of different factors, trying to assess which, assess which factors influenced your rate of return the most. Now, uh, we've already covered the idea that, you know, Harry Markowitz uh, viewed diversification as the one true free lunch. And I would say it, it's not necessarily free, but it's a relatively cheap lunch, if you will. And that, that absolutely impacts your, your rate of return. I, I, I enjoy this good... A good Burger King run every once in a while, you know. I mean? <laughs> but this study evaluated a number of other factors, things that most investors would assume great could potentially greatly impact your your rate of return. The one thing out of everything they evaluated that had a positive correlation to your rate of return was the cost. Meaning, the lower the cost, I guess it would be an inverse correlation. Uh, the lower the cost, the better your rate for return. It was very, very simple. Really? Even their own Morningstar star rating classification had no correlation to future returns. It was actually a slight negative correlation, not a huge one, but a slight negative correlation. So the one thing that actually could predict future returns was the cost of the portfolio. Interesting. Lower the internal, the lower the internal expense ratio of the. Uh, fund that you are investing in, the better the returns. So if you apply that to the, the thinking of your overall portfolio, cost is one of the things that you can easily control, is within your control, and that actually impacts your rate of return. So keep a very close eye on cost. And there are multiple levels you can control that cost. If you're hiring someone, know what they're charging you, know how they're charging you if you hire someone that tells you they're not charging you anything, A, they're lying to you. That's true. uh, But B, it's most likely the way they're kind of getting around it is the fund itself is paying them. So they personally are not charging you. The fund is charging you and then paying them. So Or paying their broker-dealer and then paying them. So it's kind of roundabout. But anyway... Uh, the point being, understand what, what you are paying your professional if you choose to hire them. Either they are fee-based or commission-based. If they're fee-based, it means they are billing you directly. Uh, know what they're billing you. If they are commission-based, know which funds they are using and what those funds are billing, are charging you. Um, Which brings me to the second level of the fee structure, which is any funds that they're using most likely have their own fees. And we talked about mutual funds, typically around that one to 2% annual fee, depending on which um, uh, class they're using. So one of the most common, especially among commission-based advisors is gonna be an A-share mutual fund. A share mutual funds typically charge about five percent upfront, meaning you invest a hundred thousand dollars, five thousand of that instantly gets taken out, is not invested. That's their fee. Most of it gets paid out to the broker dealer, which gets paid to your advisor. That's what they're getting paid. Wow. So only ninety-five thousand of that initial hundred thousand is actually being invested. Now that's that's average. Some A shares charge more or less, uh, but that's that's pretty typical as five percent upfront. And then the mutual fund is still going to charge something on the back end annually, roughly 1%, 1%. some of the more expensive ones get up to two on the A-share side. Um, And a portion of that is going to be a 12B1 fee or a sales and marketing fee, which is normally about 25 basis points or one quarter of 1%. And that is also getting paid out to the broker dealer, which is getting paid to your advisor. So they are getting paid it's just a matter of how they're getting paid. So you've got in, in this in the, on the commission-based side, you're not actually necessarily looking at what the advisor is getting uh, is billing you because they're not necessarily billing you directly. You're looking at what the the share class they're using is charging you. Right. Uh, if they're using uh, B shares, have basically gone away. If they're using C shares, it's typically a little. There's there's no upfront fee. There's no. Uh, that initial fee isn't there like with the a A shares but their annual fee is going to be higher so probably closer to that two percent range if somebody's using etfs or exchange traded funds those those funds typically have much lower internal expense ratios than the mutual funds that we've been talking about so maybe around the 30 basis points so that's 0.3 of one percent um one percent would be a hundred basis points, so thirty basis points, point three. Those those are just averages. So you want to look up what those actual fees are for the funds that you are utilizing. In some cases, they're even utilizing fund of funds. So especially target date funds, any type of retirement date fund or target date funds. Those are fund of funds, and there are other fund of funds out there as well. But that it's it's literally a mutual fund that is made up of a bunch of other mutual funds. So it's going to have its own internal expense ratio. And then all the funds that it holds have their own internal expense ratio. Wow. Okay. And so you have to dig into it and determine what the additive expense is that you're actually charging, what you're actually paying. Um, if you're in a retirement fund like a 401k – Sometimes the fund it's, or the, the program itself will have a fee that you're being billed as well. Um, but that, that's kind of getting into the weeds for, for general purposes. Uh, your advisor fee, the internal expense expenses of the funds. And then one of the things that most people are not familiar with when it comes to fees is the fees associated with trading the, uh, the turnover in that, those funds. And oftentimes that's, at least historically, that's been disclosed in the statement of additional information. So it's not even in the prospectus where most people might look, although I think they've started to shift to disclose that in the prospectus now as well. Uh, But it's not included in that internal expense ratio because it changes so much year over year. They're not required to disclose it in the internal expense ratio. It's an additional fee that you have to go hunting for it on average, it increases the fees of your funds by about 40%. So, if Jeez. your internal expense ratio is one, now it's one point you're, you're most likely paying closer to 1.4. If it's two, you're paying closer to 2.8. If it's only 0. 0.3, then you're really paying uh, closer to what is that, 0.42? That's a lot, yeah. Anyway, so they start to add up. If Even if you're buying just individual stocks, or in the case of the exchange-traded funds, the broker-dealer may be charging a transaction fee. So there may be a fee associated with every single trade you make. So every time you buy or sell, you wanna know what those are. If that fee is only $5, it's not uh, killer, but it's still gonna add up if you're doing a lot of trading. If that fee is $50 per trade, it's really gonna eat into your returns if you're doing more trading. Is this
0: um. is this stuff uh, the the different transactions that occur the the percentages that are sometimes involved in the upfront or, or during or are these all relatively easy to find if if you're talking to somebody that that is running these say a mutual fund or something like that like is uh, is it is it easy to track down the information of where these transactions are or where where these fees Not always, exist. no.
1: Okay. Uh, some of it is. So the internal expense ratios, those are pretty well disclosed. Uh, if you're using a trading platform, they're going to have it uh, typically disclosed uh, you know, on their summary page. The additional fees that are associated with the trading and things of that nature typically are not. I've actually gotten into arguments with wholesalers of mutual funds that said that they didn't have any additional fees, and then I had to show it to them in their their own company's statement of additional information oh wow so e- even some of the professionals in the industry are not familiar with all of the fees associated with investing
0: okay wow
1: that's that's but impressive. again it is one of the things that you can control it's one of the things you want to be aware of sure which is super important if you're if you're taking this on whether
0: whether you're bringing somebody on or you're you're doing it yourself that, that's right i think that's very valid
1: Oh, uh, some trading platforms, uh, maybe they're not charging like a a trading fee. They're uh, a lot of the newer ones, the the do-it-yourself ones, uh, because they have a lot of uh, clients that have very small investments. They're actually charging like a flat monthly fee. Um, Maybe it's a dollar, maybe it's a few dollars. You want to evaluate those fees. Uh, I've talked to people who had... You know, just a few thousand dollars invested, um, or even less than that, a couple hundred dollars invested on these platforms, and they're paying, it's like 12 bucks a year, but if you only have a couple hundred dollars invested, that's actually a very high percentage fee that you're paying, and your ability to offset that via uh, gains in the market becomes incredibly difficult. Your your returns, your potential rate of return is hampered a great deal. Gotcha. So so you want to eva- evaluate the fees in terms of your overall investment. don't, don't just look at it and go, "Oh, well, they charge me fifty cents for this or they charge me uh, a buck for this or something along those lines. How does that a- a- actually impact your potential rate of return? If you're investing a hundred bucks and they charge you five dollars bu- $5 for it, that's five percent. Yeah, that's not insignificant. Absolutely. That's a good point. If you invested $10,000 and they charge you five bucks, yeah, that's probably no big deal. But this is one of the things you can analyze, evaluate when you're looking at your portfolio or when you're building a portfolio is the cost. Okay. Yeah, that
0: that makes a lot of sense. And then it it just depends on what you are and aren't comfortable with and what is available to you because some of these also sit uh, as as programs that you automatically get placed into through through your employer as well. If it's correct, if it's through, however, it's the the, the several different retirement options that are available to you. If you're if you're looking into it, if you don't look into it, uh, but you know, say say so. Uh, I have a four fifty seven that I have that I, I know that there are options to to look into of. Uh, go through this amount for this fee and somebody will manage your stuff. And uh, I I think I've glanced over what that amount was, but I I don't think I thought too hard about it. And so I think it's going to be a good opportunity for me to go in there and, and have a look at that personally. Yeah. Um, Because really to me, all I saw it as initially is very much a, Oh, well, you know, this, what do you mean? You want me to keep track of this stuff? I don't want to keep track of this stuff here. Yeah. Oh, it's 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 five dollars. Yeah, five dollars. Okay. Um, right. So uh, I'll be interested to see where mine sit. And so I, I was I was really just addressing that because that's that's something that in case whoever is listening uh, hasn't considered that, then it might not just be a matter of oh well I need to consider these fees or I need to consider these percentages if I. I go and I talk to somebody if somebody approaches me, if I decide that I might try to take on one of these funds or I start doing some of this stuff actively. It, it might already be part of your day-to-day as it is currently. And it right. it might be something that's worth evaluating, like I need to go and evaluate on my own today. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, those are the kind of the big three that you can do to – start evaluating your own portfolio is uh, diversification, um, evaluating your decisions between passive and active management, and controlling the cost of your portfolio. Those are, those are the big three that you should, should it be doing kind of on a minimum. Beyond that is where we start to get into the weeds. It becomes more of a, a numbers-intensive game where you're actually evaluating your overall portfolio, um, and it's uh, it's about its performance to a degree, but it's also about its uh, the risks associated with the performance that you're you're getting. So,
0: I think that's reasonable. I, I just I just think it's great that uh, we we covered on a couple of subjects that happened previously that were. We're addressing today as as if you knew that these were building blocks that were important for a future episode and a future season. Once upon a time, it's like that was the idea. It's like you planned this out, and I and I showed up and got confused a
1: couple times along the way. It's, <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. So if you do want to get more into the weeds, uh, plot out the performance of the the portfolio. Yeah, you know, you can do it monthly or quarterly, most likely annually. Look at the average return, calculate the standard deviation. Um, and then what you can also, I, I alluded to this earlier, you can take just the negative returns and calculate the, the negative standard deviation. So the negative volatility and see how wide those swings are to evaluate the portfolio. You can do this when evaluating even like a mutual fund or ETFs if you're comparing uh, multiple to one another, comparing that average return, the um, standard deviation, the negative standard deviation. You can even start to compare uh, skewness or kurt- kurtosis, which, like I said, that that's not something that we're going to delve into deeply today. Good, because I can't um, even spell that. Yeah. <laughs> But those are things you can use to evaluate your overall portfolio, and when when you're using those, what you're you're looking for, and the reason that I like the standard deviation, you you, you take a an asset class and you calculate out its average return. There's a difference between its uh, its the geometric return and the average return. So the average return is just. The average return that you might expect to see on in, in any given year, okay, or whatever time period you're evaluating, but that's the average return you might expect to see on in, in any given year. The geometric return accounts for that standard deviation and is the annualized rate of return that the investor has actually experienced. So you could have two asset classes that have the exact same average rate of return. Call it ten uh, percent. So each asset class. Average rate of return, 10%. Any given year, you'd expect each one to be about 10%. Now, obviously, there's going to be uh, a variety of returns that happen, and that's where the standard deviation comes into play. But if one of those asset classes has a standard deviation of, say, 5%, and the other has a standard deviation of 15%, the geometric return... So the return that you actually experience on an annualized basis for the one with the 15% standard deviation is actually going to be lower than the one with the 5% standard deviation. You lost me. It's it's just the way the math works out. Okay. <laughs> A- average return, exact same. Higher the standard deviation, the lower the geometric return. Lower the standard deviation, the higher the geometric return geometric returns always going to be lower than the average return but to what degree depends on the standard deviation the volatility of the actual returns okay
0: okay
1: i mean i'll i'll, I'll take your word for it it, it doesn't <laughs> I, I, I i mean it doesn't make sense Yeah, in without my head. showing it to uh, yeah. you it's yeah without showing it to you in a spreadsheet or something that it's a little bit challenging um basically the, the negative returns on the higher standard deviation. If you, uh, let's say you had a, you start with $100 investment and it loses 15%. Now you're down to 85 bucks. Now, if you get a uh, 20% return on your $85, you're at back to $102. So you lost 15%, gained 20%, but you're only up
0: 2%. Actually, that makes sense, and I I feel like because it, actually just the only reason it makes sense is it was actually a, a different description that I came across at another point where it it's uh, it was using the same percentage as as just an awareness so that you you weren't having the wool pulled over your eyes is kind of the the demonstration of it where if you have you know X amount in a in a fund and say just just for the easy math it's a hundred dollars and the hundred dollars exists and you you lose 50% into your into this fund and so now you have $50 yep. but then it increases 50% well now you have $75 so exactly. it, it dropped and it raised the same percentage but that doesn't mean that there wasn't a train like a change in the actual monetary value itself
1: and that right so the average return in that example is nothing like what you actually experienced right your geometric return. That's exactly, that's exactly what I'm getting at there. Okay.
0: That's, I don't know why that was a hard concept for me to, I I probably. No, that's
1: okay. Um, But you can see that in standard deviation. The standard deviation gives you an idea of how much that is going to impact your actual realized rate of return. Right. Okay. That makes far more sense. Yep. And that's something you can evaluate on an entire portfolio basis. So you can actually evaluate your entire portfolio or a uh, comparable portfolio. So if you have a portfolio and you want to build a new one, you build it out and then you can compare, okay, does this make a difference for me in terms of my average return, my geometric return, my standard deviation? Does it actually move the needle? The other aspect of that that standard deviation that most people don't consider, and this is what hurts most investors, is the psychological aspect. The higher the standard deviation of the portfolio, the more wild the swings are, the more likely most investors are to make poor decisions. I've talked before about the idea that the average equity fund investor earns, only over the course of a decade, only about 3.5% annualized. While the S&P 500 annualized earns somewhere between eight and twelve percent, depending on the decade that you're evaluating, that's a very wide gap between equity returns and what the average investor is actually receiving. And that's for psychological reasons. They're buying at the wrong time and they're selling at the wrong time, and it's because of the emotional roller coaster that goes on when investing and the an easy way to try to control that emotional roller coaster is to minimize that standard deviation minimize the inputs that actually cause people to make poor decisions you
0: know this is all making sense to me now because within our title of of us keeping track in our episode plan on what we're touching on next within stock portfolio analysis analysis i we also have in parentheses <laughs> cryptocurrencies question mark and and yeah we can talk about those uh, well i mean the the fact uh, to be completely honest I, I think i think we're we're probably running short on time on this on this stretch but uh, it, unless you have a different opinion about it this fits exactly into what you're talking about in this in this stretch of the the wide swings of the volatility that Oh yeah. You tend to see, cause that's, that's some of the most volatile space that I've seen ever. Um, very. And, uh, so when you're talking about, you have these wide swings and then emotions get involved into it anyway, then it fits right into what you're talking about, which is, uh, I just, I just thought it was funny that, that we're, we're hitting on that somewhat naturally, but specific to, to cryptocurrencies. Um, right. And, uh, I, I think i've talked to you about crypto in itself but i uh, my my own humble opinion into the into the crypto world because that's that's something i get questions about all the time is uh you know sh- should you at all get involved in the in the crypto world to me uh, and i feel like you said something similar so if i'm speaking for you please correct me but uh to me it's so volatile that I certainly wouldn't hang my hat on any of it, but it's also volatile enough that I think it's kind of fun. <laughs> so I find <laughs> I find some stuff where I go, I'm I'm comfortable with losing X amount, and if it turns into something great, then hooray, and if it doesn't, then oh well. Um, and uh, in theory, for me, if I if I get a big volatile swing. Which I've I've only seen some minor ones with with how I have mine set up. Um, if it gets to a point where it's it's a volatile enough swing, I'll probably pull out my original investment and then just let whatever I gained as a profit margin in there just play on its own. Uh, but I I haven't I haven't made that back yet currently personally. Um, but that's uh, yeah. that's where I sit on that. Where if I had to make a decision between whether i was if i if i was going to invest do i put it all into the space which some have and some have absolutely been a, like a success with it so i you know it's it's not like it's impossible i uh uh it's it's just so it to me it's it's more of a dice roll than some gambling would be <laughs> right like at least you can count cards somewhere on the street like <laughs> I don't
1: know. No, I mean it gives you an idea of what we're talking about when it comes to analyzing your overall portfolio. Yes, there are out asset classes out there like cryptocurrency that could that are definitely have very low correlation to other asset classes some of your traditional asset classes. They can most definitely provide diversification on a standalone basis. They're very very risky. Could they be a piece of a portfolio? Potentially. Could they enhance the portfolio? Again, potentially. It's a matter of evaluating how it fits with your portfolio. Does it improve it in a way that fits your risk tolerance, your ability to assume risk? Because there are certain asset classes that, quite frankly, if you're investing in them, and I, I use the word investing very loosely in this scenario. Uh, it, it should be money that you don't care about ever seeing, again. Sure. I think that's valid. I think that's totally valid. It's, you know, is the juice
0: worth the squeeze? <laughs> See, I'm getting all kinds of quips. Toolboxes yeah. and juiciness and...
1: <laughs> I, I think we need to wrap this up. Otherwise, I'm just going to come up with more quips. It's just, I agree. I agree. That was pretty much what I wanted to cover. Okay,
0: good. Well... I like it. I, uh, I like that we were able to, to touch on the analysis of, of overlooking everything um, and, and talking about you know addressing these, these building blocks that we're looking into if, if you haven't taken the time to poke around into our, our correlation, diversification, and passive versus active investing, which both were right towards the end of our, our third season. Uh, then go ahead and take some time. Really, really go into those because we we did touch on that here, uh, but not not in the way of really expressing uh, how those all function in in that stretch to me. And in in comparison, I think we we had a much more thorough explanation happening in those uh, rather than. Oh here. yeah, absolutely. Uh, but
1: you know, more today was about aggregating them into. A means of evaluating your overall portfolio, so right. your your aggregate investments. And we will continue
0: with the ag- aggregation aggregationness. <laughs> My words are on point today. Yeah, uh, I think you added an extra syllable. You there. shut your mouth. <laughs> uh, aggra- <laughs> w- the the aggregationists of the analysis continues moving forward uh where, where we're going to continue to adjust on some of these and just just to keep you sort of interested uh we we've got security analysis that we're looking at next we're we're talking about some alternative investments perhaps precious metals might get addressed because i know that sits kind of interesting and then we'll uh we'll talk about some more active investing where maybe we'll interview me later we're 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 still we're still discussing that because because you haven't had enough time (laughs) talking to me (laughs) uh uh, but yeah is there is there anything else that you you want to throw in to our our analysis before we wrap this up here no i think we're good okay good well thank you again for coming out to learn more and getting deeper we really are getting into some pretty deep dense stuff and and so if you're yeah wait till next week oh you shut your mouth we, <laughs> uh so really kudos if if you're getting into this uh because i i think this is you know a, a a bigger separation than than even just the base level stuff that we've been doing before and so we we appreciate you coming out here and and really just wanting to learn more because like like we've said before we appreciate you taking the time to want to learn how to better yourself and in this way it's it's bettering yourself and and keeping the others honest that you might be, you know, working and doing your investments for you. I think it's just a good good tool, tool for the toolbox. So thank you again for joining us on The Truth About Investing. Back to Basics. My name is Chris Holling. And I'm Sean Cooper. And we will catch you next time. Podcast disclaimer. Disclaimer. The disclaimer following this disclaimer is the disclaimer that is required for this podcast to be up and running and fully functioning and moving forward this is going to be the same disclaimer that you will hear in each one of our episodes we hope you enjoy it just as much as we enjoyed making it all content on this podcast and accompanying transcript is for informational purposes only Opinions expressed herein by Sean Cooper are solely those of FIT Financial Consulting, LLC, unless otherwise specifically cited. Chris Holling... That's me. Is not affiliated with Fit Financial Consulting, LLC, nor do the views expressed by Chris Holling, me again, represent the views of Fit Financial Consulting, LLC. This podcast is intended to be used in its entirety. Any other use beyond the author's intent, distribution, or copying of its contents of this podcast is strictly prohibited. Nothing in this podcast is intended as legal accounting or tax advice and is for informational purposes only. All information or ideas provided should be discussed in detail with an advisor, accountant, or legal counsel prior to implementation. This podcast may reference links to websites for the convenience of our users. Our firm has no control over the accuracy or content of these other websites. Advisory services are offered through Fit Financial Consulting, LLC, an investment advisor firm registered in the states of Washington and Colorado. The presence of this podcast on the Internet shall not be directly or indirectly interpreted as a solicitation of investment advisory services to persons of another jurisdiction unless otherwise permitted by statute. Follow-up or individualized responses to consumers in a particular state by offering a rendering of personalized investment advice for compensation shall not be made without our first complying with jurisdiction requirements or pursuant an applicable state exemption. For information concerning the status or disciplinary history of a broker-dealer, investment advisor, or other representatives, a consumer should contact their state securities administrator. Amen. <laughs> Engage number one. You know, actually, I guess I get to be the captain in these because I'm, I'm leading, I'm leading this, and then you. You're, you're, you're Spock. Or
1: okay. Something. I, I'm fine with that. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, you're saying you're Kirk? Yeah. <laughs>
0: yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. We need to discuss the numbers just a little bit longer. Uh, discussing numbers at this time would be illogical. We should actually just be crunching the numbers. But there's no time to crunch numbers when I have such a long narrative. Nothing, Spock? <laughs> you got nothing? No, no.
1: You are fine solo here. <laughs>
0: Han solo? Let's see how much hate mail we get yeah. for that. Oh wow. Wouldn't that be funny if like all all. Two to 20 of our listeners are all big-time Star Wars, Star Trek fans. Like, (laughs) who wouldn't be? Because they're...